you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want you to open with me to the book of Acts, the 11th chapter, and I am going to read uh, beginning in verse 19, read a few verses and then skip down to verse number 26. Acts chapter 11, and we will begin reading at verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose from Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians or the Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go so far as Antioch. Skipping down to verse 26. And when, they, and when he found him, uh, speaking of Saul who had been called, or Paul as we know him now, uh, when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. What a strange thing to be said about this powerful movement of the Spirit that had begun in Jerusalem some 12 years prior to this time, and yet it was in Antioch that people began to look at these individuals and they named them Christians. And with that in mind, I want to talk to you for just a few moments tonight about what it really means to be a Christian. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I have been uh, prepared for a long time, or I say prepared, I have intended for several months to address this particular subject uh, because it seems to be such a hot topic in our world that I thought it uh, would come before now, but I have not had the privilege or the opportunity. But tonight, I'm going to share with you something the Lord has been talking to me about, and I pray that he will talk to you as well. I want to make a disclaimer here before I get started, and that is that I am in no wise judging Anybody that would call themselves a Christian. I am just looking at what the word declares. All right? And I have discovered that what the world calls a Christian and what the Bible calls a Christian are not the same. I uh, had a an experience the other day, and I, I'm not being derogatory. I know that people can come to God in all kind of conditions, but there was a man who came by the church needing some financial assistance, and, and uh, he gave me his story, and I listened to him, and after it was all over with, he assured me that he was a Christian he had a tank top on and a number of tattoos, but one of them I couldn't get off of my mind was the one tattooed right across here that said, Satan's child. 
Now, I'm not saying he wasn't a Christian, but if I was a Christian and I had Satan's child, I'd do everything I could to cover that up. Because I'm sending the wrong kind of message. And I know that we're not supposed to judge by appearance, but I will tell you that if you had been sitting in my office and seen that, you probably would have thought the same thing I was thinking, folks. You're advertising for the wrong person. If that's who you are, a child of God, there ought to be something evident about you other than that big tattoo that says Satan's child across your chest. Put a shirt on, cover it up, do something, but don't advertise something different than what you are. And I I am fearful that something is happening in our world that, is neutralizing the power of what it really means to be a Christian. Because everybody today considers themselves to be Christian. We live in what we call a Christian nation, although we annually abort millions of babies and we uh, promote a a lifestyle that is contradictory to everything that the word of God represents and yet we are still identifying ourselves as a Christian nation. And what I, I see and what I think you're aware of perhaps is that something is happening. I believe that the, the enemy has found out that if he wants to do the worst to the family of God or to the work of God in the earth then pollute that name by which they are known. Pollute that name by which they are called and degenerate it to such a place that it doesn't mean anything any longer. For when it was first given, it had a specific meaning. There was something that was so evident about these people's lives that when the the people of Antioch saw them, they were reminded of what they had heard about someone called Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who had been crucified and the one that had risen from the grave. And so they initially said it as mockery. These are Christians or they are Christ-like, but that name has stuck throughout the centuries. And in Antioch, it meant something specific. It meant something unique. It was, it was separate from the rest of the society. It was not just a blending of cultures. It was an identity that was unique to those individuals who had been born again of water and spirit and they were now serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question that begs to be answered in our day is what was answered in their day. You see, the question that was answered in their day was, who do these people remind us of? When they got to looking at them and they got to observing how they lived their life and they practiced their living and the way they talked and the way they acted and the way they interacted and what they did and what they would not do in the minds of these people in Antioch, they were trying to figure out now who do these people remind us of? And the only name that they could come up with, these people remind us of Christ. They remind us of what we have heard about this one called Christ. And so the question that begs to be answered in our day is do we still remind anybody of him? I don't care what you call yourself. 
We can call, I, I can call myself anything, but when people look at me and they interact with me and they become connected with my life, do we remind them of him? And that was the criteria. The outward, I know, is not always evident of the inward condition, and I realize that you should not judge a book by its cover, but I do know this, that if you hang around that book very long and you get to reading a little bit of that book, you'll figure out what that book is about. And so when these people who came into Antioch with the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel message, the saving message of Jesus Christ, and men and women began to believe and embrace that message. It transformed their lives. It, it changed the way they lived and acted and the, the, the way they conducted their life and they carried on. And so it was evident as they began to read their life that there's something about them that reminds us of him. And so when I got to thinking about that, I really began to examine my own self. And I have to, I've asked myself many times over the last few weeks, when people look at me, or more than just look at me, when they get involved and interact with me, is there anything about my life that reminds them of him? And if not then I have failed to be a Christian because that's what a Christian is. A Christian is one who reminds the environment in which they live who they are and whose they are. The very name Christian came from Christ-like living. That was what it meant, Christ, as one translator said, if you add one letter, it meant Christ man, Christian, Christ man, or Christ woman, whatever the case might be. But they were Christ-like in their living. And so when people watched them and they observed them and they interacted with them, they could only figure out one thing. Now, I, I tried to envision it like this. What if, what if somehow somebody was able to pick us up and transport us to some heathen nation. I don't, uh, let's just, a godless nation like China. And God dropped you down in some remote Chinese village. And they don't know anything about you other than you're new and you're different. If they had to coin a word for who you reminded them of, what would that word be? And that's what happened to these in Antioch. The message of Jesus Christ had spread outside Jerusalem. It began there. Generally speaking, the church in Jerusalem was considered and was the first church and we are indebted to that church it was there, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost and the spread of the gospel came from there. But there were a lot of things that went wrong in Jerusalem. There, there was a lot of things that happened in Jerusalem that kept Christianity locked up there in a Jewish world, in a Jewish mindset. And so God had to send persecution to get them out of their comfort zone, to push them out of Jerusalem. And when they got out and Stephen was martyred, all of a sudden the doors were open and they went into the, the, the different parts of the world. And one of the places they went was to Antioch. Now Antioch, you have to understand, was one of the major commercial centers of the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire and it was a port of, of exquisite importance. It was where Syria meets Asia Minor and it was a beautiful place. The Greeks called Antioch the, the Great and the Romans called it the Queen of the East for it was there 
in this capital city where wealth was and commerce and accessibility to the east and west and communication with other parts of the world was so easily interacted. It was here there were intellectual and cultural and commercial centers of the ancient world and it was there in that environment that was very heathenistic. It was very multi-god centered. They worshiped many gods that the message of God in Christ, the one God, Jesus manifest in the flesh, that that message came to Antioch and it came with such power that many were converted and many of them began to receive the message and a great revival broke out. So much so that from that point on, Antioch became the center of the missionary endeavors of the early church. What is so interesting to me is that Jerusalem did not send out the first missionaries to the world, but Antioch sent out the first missionaries to the world. It was in Antioch that they were praying and the Spirit spoke and said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. And so Antioch became a vibrant center of revival. It was here though that there was such a marked difference in their life that people when they looked at them they said they are Christians. So when the world looks at us, I don't mean our outward appearance. I don't mean all all that you see with the natural eye but when the world begins to interact with us do they still see us as Christ-like? It was here in this place that God began a great work. When Jerusalem heard of what was happening, they sent an emissary down to make sure it was as they had heard. And so Barnabas, that's why Barnabas came. And the first thing that Barnabas noted when he got to Antioch was the grace of God that was on them. That's amazing. That when when Barnabas got to Antioch, the first thing that impressed him was the grace of God that was in the midst of those people. And so he was there. And it was from there that Paul came, was called, and Paul ministered for one year. Revival broke out, and there was a great uh, outpouring of God's Spirit, and many things happened. But what I want to get to And what I want to go back to is when people look at me, do I still remind them of him? Because if I don't, I'm not truly a Christian. Amen. You're not a Christian because you embrace certain ethical principles. There are people that don't even believe in God that have ethical principles. You're not a Christian because you go to a certain denomination. By the way, there aren't going to be any denominations in heaven. Just wanted you to know that. Amen. I know that gets some people because they think we're the only ones going to make it. But if that's all God could round up, he's in trouble. The Bible said he's going to bring from every kindred, every tribe, every tongue, every nation from the four corners of the earth. If heaven is built four square and it's as large as the book of Revelation says it is, it's going to have a lot of folks in it. And so... They're going to come from all over the place and they're not going to come because they went under the banner of Pentecostal or they went under the banner of Baptist or whatever they wanted to call it. They're going to be there because in fact they were like him. Not just in their mouth what they say but in their life and in the principles that they espouse and in the way that they live. So When I got to thinking about this, what was it about these 
men and women in Antioch that would cause a city to say, those are Christians. I started with what must have been most evident and it had to be because of the choices that they made in their life. It had to be because of the decisions that they made. That there were some things that they were loyal to and there were many things that they shunned. They had chosen him alone. They were not trying to serve two masters. They weren't trying to please their boss and please God too. The only thing they wanted to do was please the Lord and so they served him alone. There was no divided loyalty. There was no confusion about who their master was. And so they made a clear choice in their living that allowed those men in Antioch to say, they're Christian. Now, my point is this, that if we are going to be Christians in this generation, it's not going to be under any less circumstance then our choices are going to be different than the choices of the world in which we live. And we are not going to live to please men and we're not going to live so that we fit in and we're accepted. We're going to live for him alone. If they accept us, good. If they don't accept us, it's still good. As long as he accepts me, And as long as I'm in good standing with him, that's all that matters. So there was a choice. Everybody say a choice. Not him and some other deity. Not him and some other priority. But him alone. When you choose him, you you by choosing him exclude others. You understand that, don't you? You can't have your cake and eat it too. There's some people that want God as long as it doesn't interfere with their partying. Or they want God as long as it doesn't interfere with their language. Oh yeah, I'm gonna meddle a little bit tonight. They want God as long as it doesn't interfere with their hobbies. But the fact is, if I am a child of God and I am a true Christian, a Christ man, then there is going to be something so evident about my choices that people will not be confused. Is he or is he not? They will know by my fruit. They will know by the product of my life that is a child of God. And you know what, folks? Our world needs that kind of Christianity because they are drowning on this other stuff. They are being deceived into believing what the lie of hell has produced and perpetrated that everybody, all you gotta do is just call yourself that and you are. I'm afraid that's not what the Bible said. The Bible said that there was something so evident about their life that when these men of Antioch looked at them, they said, Jesus. That's who they remind me, Jesus. They remind me of the Christ, the son of the living God. The second thing that I I noticed when I got to looking at this is that for them to have that kind of marked impression upon the society in which they live, there had to be an obedience about their lives that spoke to everybody of who their loyalties were to. That they were loyal to only one. What they were in tune with was not the the, the sound of Antioch. It was not the tune of Antioch. The music of Antioch was a world that had been brought together and everybody is all on the same page. But there was something so unique about their life 
that when they looked at them, they realized these people are marching to the beat of a different drum. They're not like everybody. They're, 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 they're not like this. They're, they're not like that. What, what are they? They're like him. That's who they're like. You know what, folks? That's what I want people to think about when they look at me. He's like Jesus. I'm not trying to say that because I want to, I'm just saying that's what I want them to say when they look at you or when they interact with you. You know, when they get around, you know what I feel? I feel like I'm with Jesus. I feel like I'm in the presence of the Lord. I'm not saying that we are of anybody or we're something, but I'm saying there ought to be something so real about our lives that when people begin to interact with us, they say, hey, there's something about that man. There's something about that woman. And they want what you and I have. Amen. So there was a certain obedience. Everybody say obedience. They were not worried about acceptance in the social order. They were only worried about pleasing him. You know what I've discovered? The more I live to please him, the more it doesn't bother me if I don't please them. Amen. But if I'm living all my life trying to please, I don't want to offend them and I don't want to hurt them. You know what? I'm going to tell you, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. If you're going to be a Christian, you're not going to fit in to every group. They're just some... You know what I discovered? I, I wanted so bad to be accepted in my neighborhood. And I, I got out and I mixed and mingled. But when the first time they heard I was a preacher, my Lord, you talk about. It was like a dirty diaper at a picnic. They didn't want me anywhere around them. Because I cramped their style. I didn't drink. I didn't cuss. I didn't smoke. I'm not saying anything about myself. I'm just saying I didn't do all the things they wanted to be involved in. They, they have a Christmas party and there's more drinking than there is eating. And it wasn't long until they quit inviting us. You know what? I don't take that. You know, it hurt my feelings at first. I thought, well, my Lord, we're not bad people. But I realized there's just some things about living for God. There are choices that you make that exclude people from your life and you don't do that. It's the fact that you have chosen to serve him and serving him and serving the world do not go together. You cannot do both things. You either have to love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. You, you can't have both worlds. And so there's a certain obedience. They walk to the beat of a different drum. They were in tune with another world. And then there was obviously a separation from the world that they were in that marked their lives. There had to be or they would not have been marked as they were. And when I say separation, I don't mean they were a bunch of freaks or oddballs. I just mean that they were not in step with the cultural norms of that time. They were not in step with the cultural norm, number one. Number two, they did not take their cues from the fashions of the world in which they lived. They asked the Lord, is this pleasing to you? Would this bring honor to you? And if it didn't, they didn't. If it did, they did. That's how simple living for God is, folks. It's not complicated. People come to us, they say, oh, you Pentecost, you just got all these rules. You know what? I don't have one rule book, but this book. And this book is enough for me to live by. But the fact is that a true child of God is going to live by a different standard than the world and the culture in which he lives. And he doesn't draw his cues from them. He doesn't say, well, what are they doing? That's what I'm going to do. I, I, I want to, I, oh, that looks cool. They're going to say, no, does that bring honor to God? And if it doesn't bring honor to God, they don't do it. Will this honor the Lord in the way that I look or the way that I act or the way? That, and if it doesn't bring honor to him, then they don't do it. How complicated is that? 
You don't have to have a policeman in your backyard saying, oh, you better not do that. All you have to do is stop and ask yourself a few questions. Number one, is this going to make me better? Number two, does this glorify the Lord? Number three, when people look at it, are they going to be reminded of him? Settle right there. Is that complicated? No, it's not complicated. It's just simple. And the fact is, when we take the time to do that, we're going to mark the world in which we live. Now, when they were called Christians, they were called that for a reason. They were called that because somebody saw in them something that reminded them of Jesus. And so again, I ask myself, when the world looks at me, is there anything about my life that reminds them of him? If not, I need to get to work on it. I, I need to go back to the workroom and the drawing board and the prayer room and get into that place where I do bring honor to him. Now, obviously, if they reminded the world of him, then evidently they loved like he loved. They loved everybody. Say that. They loved everybody. Everybody. Every skin color, every ethnicity, every cultural norm, every social standing, they loved like him. Amen. And if we remind the world of him, we're going to love like he did. We're going to fight down and beat down the prejudices in our life. And we all are born with certain prejudices. Amen. There was a love about them that was not cheap or tawdry. It was a love for the sinner but a hate for the sin. There was a spirit among them that was sweet. If they reminded him, uh, reminded them of him, then evidently there was compassion in that church. Everybody say compassion. Compassion. They were people who were mission-minded. As a matter of fact, if you go ahead and read on a few verses, you will find out that this new church in Antioch, heard of a famine in Judea back in the homeland, back at Jerusalem, back towards, they heard of a famine and what did they do? They took up a collection to send back to the people that were spying on them to see if what they had was real. Now folks, that's Christianity. I mean, Barnabas had come to check them out to see if they were the real deal. I mean, the fact was, the leaders of the church of Jerusalem weren't so sure about what they kept hearing coming out of Antioch, and so they sent Barnabas down there to spy on them, and when Barnabas came in, he was blown away by the grace of God. And now these men who had been converted and these women who had been converted and they had given their lives to the Lord, now they hear of a need back in the homeland and out of a spirit of compassion, they get, you know, folks, that's the real test of Christianity. It's when you can bless those that have hurt you. When you can bless those that have tried, that, that, that their motives have been suspect. When you can turn and look back at them and not look at them the way they've looked at you. That's real Christianity. I want, you to, I want that to sink in because there's a lot of folks that come and go from a church and we look around and we give them that evil eye and we ah. And we make our judgments based on some things that we might have heard or we might, you know, we, we've, well, well this. Uh, the fact is the real rule of Christianity is when you can overlook that for a higher good. And you can say, you know what? It doesn't matter that they sent somebody to check us out. They didn't believe the report or whatever. They have a need and we're going to help supply that need. That's real Christianity. 
It's blessing those who curse you. It's praying for those who spitefully use you. Oh my. Nobody came on Wednesday night expecting to have to hear that. But that's real Christianity. They evidently, if they reminded them of him, evidently they were very merciful like him. People of grace, there was something about their demeanor and their attitude that showed a lot of grace. And you know why? Because they were recipients of grace. And they were fresh recipients of grace. You know what I've discovered about grace? The farther you get away from that initial experience of grace in your life, the harder it is to remember what God had to get past to get where you were. And so you start looking at yourself like you're somebody. I've been in the church 10 years. I've been in the church 30 years. I've been in the church 40 years. This is my pew. I bought this pew. I belong on this pew. But they were so fresh in grace and they were so fresh in the work of God in their life that they just thought everybody ought to feel the same way. And so when they looked around at the world in which they lived, they did not look with the jaundiced eyes of a lot of history. They left that all under the blood and said, thank God he forgave me. He can forgive you too. You know what? That's what I want this church to be like. I hate hypocrisy. I hate hypocrisy worse than I hate anything else in the world. And I hate for us to come in here and sit on these pews and look across at somebody that might come to an altar and wonder, what in the world are they doing down there? I'll tell you what they're doing down there. They're down there because they need something from God and you ought to be down there helping them get what they need from God. Amen. They were evidently merciful and they were no doubt very clear on their stand because Jesus was very clear on what he stood for. There was no mealy mouth, wishy-washy, inconsistent, well, maybe today, not tomorrow. There was a definite ring about his word. There was a definite truth about what he said and evidently that's what marked their lives. There was a consistency. Everybody say a consistency. What they did at church, they lived at home. Mm. Let me say that again. What they did at church, they lived at home. I, and I've been guilty of it, I'm sure, myself. But you know what? It's amazing. Husbands and wives can fuss and cuss at each other all the way to church and they get to the park and all of a sudden they straighten up and get out. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord, sister. They come in here. And the truth is, kids are sitting there looking at what in the world are these hypocrites doing? You know what? There ought to be a consistency about our life that what we are here. We are when we get away from here. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Don't confuse people. Do you know that I am aware today that there are people that are not in the church that were at one time in the church because they fellowshiped with people and they saw the inconsistent side of their life and when they saw them in church, maybe they were in a position or maybe they filled this role or that role and they thought, that's not right. That doesn't work. And they were not going to play that role. The truth is you don't have to play anything. Just be what you are everywhere. It's a whole lot easier just to do that than to try to remember, am I or am I not? Amen. It's a lot easier just to live one way. This way here, this way there. This way there, this way here. 
so that you don't have to wake up in the morning and decide which face do I put on, which clothes do I wear today, what language do I use today. Oh, praise God. I'm talking about what it really means to be a Christian. And our world doesn't want to hear that, but that's the fact of what it means to be a child of God. And I'm closing. Evidently, there was something about their life that so marked them that they reminded Antioch of Jesus. And I have to believe it was because they reached for people that others shunned. Jesus passing by allowed the lepers to reach out and touch him. More than that, he touched the lepers. That was a no-no. To touch a leper meant you were transmitting that disease in a sense that you were now unclean. And so because of leprosy, they would have to go outside the city. They would have to live in these little colonies away from their family. And if anybody came by, they would have to cover their face and they would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. And one of the first miracles that Jesus performed was touching a man with leprosy. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they stood back and said, Oh my word, do you see what he just did? That's the kind of people Antioch must have been. They reached for people that others shunned. Amen. You know what? There's a lot of, a lot of people like that around our community. They don't look like you. They don't smell like you. They don't have your pedigree. They don't have your background. But they deserve him. They deserve him. And you know what? You're a book. You're an epistle that's read of all men. Make sure when they read it, they come to this conclusion. She reminds me of Jesus. He reminds me of Jesus. When I'm around him, I had a little boy that we used to pick up from the Sunday school route. We had a bus route that we ran every Saturday. And uh, we would go by and pick up this little boy. Came from a very, very nasty home life. He, uh, his parents were alcoholics. Tony loved Sunday school and he loved me of all people. We would pick him up. He sat in my Sunday school class and uh, he wanted to get as close to me as he could. The only problem was Tony had some serious medical problems. Serious medical problems. He had had a kidney removed when he was just a baby. Another one had failed, and so now he had a bag. The only problem was nobody ever cleaned his bag. Nobody. And so when he would come to church, you know what he smelled like? He smelled like the toilet. And he would get up as close as he would get to me. And I remember some days the odor would be so strong I would almost get nauseated. And I would look over at those innocent little eyes and I realize all that he's looking for is somebody to love him for who he is. He's not a bag. He's not a colostomy. He's not an accident. He's not a problem. He's a soul that God made and God loves. You know, it's amazing when you start looking at them like that, that stink disappears. You're not afraid to get your hands dirty. You're not afraid to reach out and embrace them and say, you know what, I love you because that's the only love Tony ever received. The question tonight is, when people look at me, do I remind them of him? If I don't, I need to get busy 
because that's what a real Christian is. It's someone who reminds the world of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Praise God. Praise God. The old song said to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. On earth I long to be like him. I I don't know. Maybe you don't care about that. But for the last few months, that one thought has been eating away at my soul. It's been on my mind. I, I Almost on a weekly basis, I thumb to that part of my Bible and I look at those notes to be like Jesus. When the world is looking at me, what do I remind them? If if I were to be transferred into another part of the world that didn't know anything about Jesus and dropped into that community and after I had been there for a very short period of time, they came up with a name for me. Would that name be Christian? Folks, I want to tell you what. The more I think about it, the more I'm humbled to realize that far too many times I fall short of that. And if the world deserves anything right now, they deserve real Christianity. They're dying on this fake, sham, pseudo, so-called Christianity. Where nothing changes and nothing's different. you're just like you were that's not that's not the Christianity of the Bible that there was something that was so radical about the transformation of these people in Antioch they said of them Christ Christian that's what we'll call them Christian and at first it was mockery but it came to be known as who they were They were Christ-like. They were Christ men. They were Christ. That's what I want. That's what I want this church to become. Love like him. Oh, God. I want us to love like him. I want us to have compassion like he had. I want us to have unprejudiced, unjaundiced minds, if that's a word. I want us to have such a desire to reach people that we don't care what status of life they are in as long as we can touch them with the message of Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. Those that have been turned aside and forgotten on the highway of life, we reach out to and we embrace and we help and we love. Amen. Compassion, grace. You know what? That's probably one area of my life that I struggle with the most is knowing how to be a person of grace. Because when you have a lot of bad things happen to you, you 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 just you fight that spirit of meanness. I mean, you just want to get back. When somebody hurts you, you want to hurt them. They ignore you, you want to ignore them. Jerusalem ignored him and they ignored him and they ignored him and they ignored him and he stood over them one day and he wept and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent to you, how oft would I have gathered you like a hen to gather her brood, but you would not. But you know what? It didn't stop him. He marched right on to Calvary. And even as they were coming by and mocking him, saying, if you're the Christ, come down. What an hour to prove to them who he was. But he didn't. He just kept hanging there because a greater good was being served and a greater purpose was being accomplished. And then after it was all said and done, the first place he poured out his spirit was in the very heart of the place that had rejected him. 
Oh, God, give me that kind of compassion. Give me that kind of grace. Help me to have that kind of forgiveness about my life. Help me to have that kind of forgiveness about my life that, that even when people have done me wrong, I can still let them go. Don't hold it to their charge. Dear friend of mine, I've heard him say it so many times. He said, you know what? I find myself repenting on a daily basis and I find myself forgiving people on a daily basis because I've come to this conclusion in my life that I don't want them to be lost because I held on to something and try to hold it. Let God take care of it. He said, I just let them go. Amen. Let it go. We don't like that. It sounds too cheap. That sounds, that, that just doesn't make sense, but that's the true spirit of forgiveness. Let it go. Amen. Let it go. And you know what happened? Some of the very ones that cursed him and some of the very ones that mocked him came under the influence of the power of the Holy Ghost and were converted. And they became beacons of the early church. Just think what would have happened if he had had the vindictive spirit that a lot of people today have. Jerusalem would have been scorched earth. Aren't you glad he came back to us? Aren't you glad he came back to you and I? I'm so thankful when I look at my own life and I realize how many times I've failed that he hasn't cut me off that he keeps giving me opportunities to repent and opportunities to find forgiveness. And if he'll do that for me, then I need to learn how to do that for people that are around me. To be like Jesus. Oh, to be like Jesus.